Welcome to Celebration Church's podcast. We hope this helps you to know God better and trust Him more. To learn more about Celebration Church, please visit us at celebrationchurchlive.com. And, uh, well, have you ever uh, kind of started down a path, uh, maybe with a conversation, uh, maybe on a project, and you get down it and you hit a point, you're like, this did not go the way I thought this was going to go. Um, in fact, you maybe have a moment that said, if I'd have known it was going to go this way, I don't know that I would have done this. I don't know that I would have made this decision. Um, and every spouse in the house of God has had one of these moments where you go to have a conversation and you go to talk and you say, hey, um, you know, hey, l- let's, let's have this conversation. Let's talk about this. And maybe it was simple, something as easy as where do you want to eat? And somehow... That turned into a full-on fight, and you're like, I'm never offering you food again, and so I'm not doing this. I'm not falling for that trick ever again, and you're like, this just didn't go the way I thought this was going to go, and you begin to share it with somebody and begin to tell somebody, and you're like, hey, man, you know, I just, I just asked my lady, you know, where she wants to eat, we ended up in a fight, and he's like... Dude, story of my life, man, story of my life. And then you, you sit there and, and you, maybe you started a home project and all you were going to do was change out the kitchen faucet. That's it. Kitchen faucet was a little leaky. You wanted a new one. And then the next thing you look up and somehow you've got new cabinets, you've got new floor, you've got a whole new kitchen. You're like, how did this happen? I said yes to a faucet. That is all I said yes to. And how did this happen? And you're sharing it with a friend or you're saying something and somebody goes, dude, story of my life. And then you begin to think about it and you're like, huh, you know what? Is this story of my life? Because a lot of times, man, things don't go the way we think they're going to go. And we've had that enough. We begin to recognize some patterns and go, I think there's a script. Am I stuck in my own Truman Show? Things don't go the way I think they're going to go all the time. But somehow that's predictable. Somehow there seems to be these storylines. Somehow everything seems to be going in the same direction over and over again. And I hit moments that I go, you know what? I wish I could re-script this. I wish I could flip the script and get things going in a different direction. But I feel stuck in these same old patterns, in these same old moments. And today we're going to kick off a new series. We're going to be looking over the next six weeks at the concept that Jesus came. His assignment, what he does is he flips the script. That is what he does. In fact, this entire weekend we celebrate is one amazing flip the script moment. The fact that Jesus came out of the grave. Everybody thought they knew what happens when you stuck somebody in a grave. They stay in the grave. That's where they stay. Everybody was convinced of it. Jesus' disciples were convinced of it. That's why on Sunday morning they weren't at the grave, even though he told them multiple times, "Uh, I'm going to die and I'm going to come back. Um, They weren't waiting. Uh, When they heard the news about it, uh, when the people went down, spent money, and took the burial supplies down to the grave to finish the preparation, the women did that. The guys were hiding, and the women were on the front lines. Uh Uh-oh. And um, so they went out, and they go to do that. But they're expecting to find a dead Jesus. They find an empty grave, and news that he's alive, run back, tell the people 
who should have been expecting and they don't believe. First time the news of a resurrected Jesus is ever decreed and it lands on somebody's ears, it's not believed. If you're having a hard time this morning believing that Jesus is alive, guess what? His closest followers didn't believe first time they heard it either. And you have a safe space here to explore this with us and to move forward. But I am convinced, and there's a lot of us that are convinced, that Jesus is alive. The whole Good Friday thing, flip the script moment. Nobody on Good Friday and the original Good Friday thought that that was a Good Friday. That was a terrible Friday. Jesus died. They had walked away from everything. His disciples had walked away from their livelihoods, given years of their life, and now Jesus is being executed. This is not what they thought. They just had a conversation, a couple of them saying, hey, when you come into your kingdom, we want to sit on your right hand and your left hand. We're about to, something's good about to happen, and then now they're hiding. This was not what we thought. But Good Friday is Good Friday to us because we know what happened for us on Good Friday, that Jesus' crucifixion was brutal and terrible for him to endure, but it was incredibly life-giving and changing. For us, we call it good. They flipped the script. It's, nobody thought it was good, but we call it good because it is good. In fact, our number one icon, we take an icon for Christianity and you're gonna boil it down. What is our number one icon for Christianity? And we would all agree it is the cross. But the cross in Jesus' day was nothing that you would find in a boutique with little rhinestones in it and all frou-free and put on the walls. And there's lots of West Texas homes who have an entire display of crosses from all over the place and, and all of these different things. And to them, that would be so bizarre because the cross was the worst means of execution. In fact, it was so bad that no Roman citizen was allowed to be crucified. It was reserved for the worst of criminals. It was reserved for, for slaves. It was reserved for non-Romans. And Jesus was not a Roman, and therefore he could be crucified and endure this horrific thing. And it was simply a means of horrific public execution. And to put that in our terms, in our day and age, we would take something that is used for public execution in our culture, and we would call that the electric chair, and it would be like somebody having this collection of really beautiful electric chairs on their wall in their home. And you go to all the little boutiques, and you find these little blingy, shiny electric chairs, and you know, and you have these little electric chair earrings, and, and you're like, girl, where'd you get your electric chairs? I love those. And, and you show off your new thing. You're like, I found this when I went to Fredericksburg on a girl day, and it was so lovely. And you ought to see the electric chairs they've got there. It'll blow your mind. It'll, oh, that's a bad joke. Um, the, uh, <laughs> I, I did not mean that. And... Uh, and so it was, it, was, it was a means of public execution. It was, a, it was terrible. But they're beautiful to us. Crosses are beautiful. Nobody winces. Nobody thinks anything weird about your cross earrings or wearing your cross necklace. And nobody sees it strange or thinks it's gruesome because the narrative has been changed. We've flipped the script. It's... It's, it's amazing, it's beautiful, it's, it's life-changing, it's life-giving for us. And in fact, Jesus' entire ministry was a flip-the-script kind of ministry. He took things that were headed in one direction and shifted them 
in a completely different direction. And as Jesus stood up to, to begin his earthly ministry, he starts there with his people there and he stands up in the temple. He grabs a scroll, grabs the scroll of Isaiah. He unrolls it and starts at the point, what we would call Isaiah 61. We're the ones that added the little numbers in there to find stuff. And he starts there in Isaiah 61 and he, beg he begins to read this. It says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. The poor, things were rough. It was brutal. There was no good news. And, and they needed some good news. Their life was headed in a painful direction. And Jesus flips the script and says, guess what? The poor is about to hear some good news. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted to proclaim freedom to the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and to provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. All of these are flip the script moments. Beauty for ashes. Joy for despair. Over and over again, we see that is Jesus says, this is why I've come. You think you've seen the pattern. You think you know the end of the story. You think you know how this is going to end, but you've not factored me into it yet. And Jesus will flip the script and take things in a new direction. Psalm 34, 18 says, the Lord is close to those whose hearts have been broken. He saves those whose spirits have been crushed. And if you this morning are heavy hearted, and if you've been crushed, I'm here to tell you, God, God's here. He notices. He's here. And you're like, I don't feel close to God. Well, that's because you're heavy hearted. You're broken hearted. Your, your spirit's been crushed. And it's hard to begin to lean in it. But just because you're not noticing him doesn't mean he's not noticing you. He's come alongside. He's close to you, whether you feel that closeness yet or not. But I'm here to tell you, if you'll just open up and you'll turn to him, you will notice. And as we look at these narratives, these plot lines in our lives, these places where we so desperately hit moments that we want to flip the script, we were like, we've got to shift this. Something's got to give. We'll find that there tend to be three storylines, three things that work that bring destruction and bring us to a place that we wish we could flip the script, that we wish we could take this in a whole new direction. And we're going to talk about those as, as I share with you a story. And I, uh, all my life since I can remember, I have been a car guy. I have loved cars. I just like cars and trucks and things that burn fossil fuels and now even things that run on electricity. There's some pretty cool electric cars out there. Then so and just man if it goes and you can steer it, I like it. And so um and as I was growing up, you know, you sit there, you know, 10-year-old boy, you know, talks to dad. And I remember the first time I saw a Porsche 911 and I'm like, Dad, that's what I want. He's like, good luck, kid. And um it's like, but that's what I want for my car. And Says, like, you're going to have to get a job. You want a car, you're going to have to get a job. And uh, so, like, oh, man. 
And uh, so then, you know, you see the Lamborghini Countach, and it's like, yeah, that's what I want. And uh, the Ferrari Testarossa, Miami Vice, come on now. And so, and it's like, that's what I want. That's the car that I want. And I didn't just like just the exotic, out-of-this-world kind of cars. I also have always loved muscle cars. And I am a fan of all muscle cars. I have a one Kind is my favorite, but I like all of them. In fact, I would drive a 1968 two-door anything. If it rolled out of Detroit with two doors in 1968, it's a slick car. Man, I'm telling you, I'd drive a Chevelle. I would drive a Camaro 68 Camaro, a 68 Charger. I would drive any of them. They are just amazing machines. And about two years before and two years after, man, it's just the pinnacle of automotive design in my opinion. And so I've just always loved these. Well, having this narrative, you know, hey, dad, this is what I want. Hey, kid, get a job. Um, all of a sudden, we run into a flip the script moment when I was 15 years old, and we were on vacation in Arkansas. And as we we're in Arkansas, we we're in uh, Little Rock, and we we're there in the town. And and uh, come to an intersection. There at the intersection, there is a car lot that has some classic cars on it. And sitting on there, that car lot are two convertible mu- classic Mustangs, a, a 65 and a 66. Now, I mean, he's like, Dad, that's it. That's what I want. These are gorgeous. And Dad pulls in, and we check out the cars, and they're beautiful collector-quality cars. And that changed the flow of vacation. And so now we began to like look for cars. And in that moment, the script had always read, Dad, I want, get a job. Dad, I want, get a job. But all of a sudden, see Mustangs in this beautiful place of harmonic resonance begins to take place. Me and Dad are on the same page because his first car was a 66 Mustang. And so now we are talking the same language. And he's like, huh, all right, let's look around. Ooh, yes, let's do this. And so we look around and quickly decide that we're not going to try to rebuild one. We need to find one that already functions and go back to Odessa and begin to look for the classic Mustang. And, of course, there's no eBay. There's, there's no Craigslist. There's no any of the Facebook marketplace, any of that stuff. There was the thrifty nickel, people, the thrifty nickel. And it was for free. And you go pick it up. And your app was your hand. And that's how you open that sucker. And you thumb through it. And so you open up the thrifty nickel, and all there was was words. There were no pictures. If it was pictures, it was one of the big car lots. But individuals didn't pay the extra money, folks. It was the thrifty nickel, not the thrifty hundy. It was the thrifty nickel. And so you didn't pay for the extra stuff. You had the, your lines of text that described the car and a phone number. And you just called it, not even knowing if it was legit or something, there was no scams like that back then because you had to actually go somewhere. And so, and you would actually have to go and see it. So we had to go see these cars and, and go and do that. And so we went and looked at a number of them. My dad gave a budget. And it was a solid budget. It was, there was a number of good daily driver Mustangs available in Odessa Midland area for that budget. And we looked at a number of them and just didn't quite hit on the, hit the mark. And so... New Thrifty Nickels came out on Thursday. And so go and get the Thrifty Nickel, open it up. There's the ad for a 67, begins to read all the little details. You get to the end. 
There's the price. It wasn't just a little over budget. It was double the budget. Let's show it to dad anyways. Dad, let's just go look. Let's just go. Let's just see what's out there for that kind of money. Let's see what a Mustang of that caliber looks like. So dad does it. So dad decides that we're going to go look at this Mustang. And we pull up the, of course, you know, not been any pictures. So you drive down the street. The guy has it in his um, driveway. It's all shiny and beautiful. And that West Texas sun glints off of it. And it's just, whoa. And it's just like, oh, my gosh, that is gorgeous. And it was a 67 Acapulco Blue, uh, styled steel wheels, dual exhaust, board over 289. It had, the, it had glass packs. It had a little lopey cam. So it was loop, loop, loop. Ah, it was just amazing. Three coats of paint, seven coats of clear. Looks like you could stick your finger into it. I mean, you just wanted to lick this car. It was just like, oh, my gosh. It was amazing. We look at it, had the, had the two-tone interior, which is air conditioning, people. Had air conditioning. You, you're not used to there not being air conditioning. It used to be a major upgrade. And had air conditioning, and, man, it was just, like, perfect. And we look at it, and my dad absolutely does something I never expected. He says, we'll take it. And I'm like, oh! Yes, this is awesome. And so we get sit there, and then dad has to, to shake a little extra money out from a, from a savings thing, and it takes a couple of weeks for the money to, to show up. And then so the guy's holding the car, and, and it's just the longest couple of weeks, and we finally get to pick the car up. And then I've got the car. I'm 15. I can't drive it. And, but, I, man, I'm just sleeping in it. And doing everything I can to just try to, to just enjoy this car. And um, finally, I'm able to get my license in that car um, after failing my test in two other cars. Yeah, don't look at me like that. Um, that should be a little foreshadowing of what's ahead. And, uh, but I, I get, the, get the car. And then now... Um, you know, having the, having the car, have my driver's license, I have two younger sisters, uh, and it's my role to take my sisters to school, you know, take a little load off my parents and take them to school. Well, shotgun is reserved for BFF, you know, you're reserved for your best friend. And so my little sisters, they have to get in the back seat. So they got to get in the back seat. And uh, my sister, Heather, uh, she played an instrument that the devil handed up from the bowels of hell up to humanity. Um, and uh, it's an instrument called the clarinet. And so, and so sorry for any of you who love the clarinet, but I'm, I know that it's from hell because Squidward from SpongeBob plays it. <laughs> Confirmed. And so, but really, it was, it was the fact that it has a hard case with pointy corners on it was the problem. And so my sister Heather is in the back seat with her clarinet case, and she is trying to figure out where to put the case. And she is banging it around in the back. And I can just see it gouging the perfect Mustang seats and just hurting it and messing it up. And I'm just sitting there, and she's like, I don't know where to put my clarinet. And I'm like, put it right there. And she's like, where do I put it? Where do I put it? And I'm like, put it right there. And she's banging it around more. Where do I put it? And I was like, put it right there. And I pull the wheel, and I hit 50-50, just half and half, parked 78 Trans Am. 
and just smash the car. Snaps the frame, just totals it, and totals the other car. Never hit the brakes. Um, didn't see it coming. Uh, head hits the steering wheel. I'm loopy a little bit. Uh, my sisters are in the back seat, and they're fine, and they're jarred and crying. They hear the fluids coming out of the radiator and the, the engine. And in the 80s, if it was on TV and the fluids happened, the car exploded. It was a given. And so they, they just hear, and they're like, it's leaking, it's leaking. And they just think we're going to die and that. And so I get my sisters out, and they're out, and they're sitting on the, sitting on the curb. And I look at this wrecked, amazing gift of love and grace and just all my, what my dad had just gone so above and beyond. And I just wrecked it in such a stupid, stupid way. And I just didn't want, I, honestly, I just, I couldn't handle it. I didn't, I literally did not want to be alive. I did not want to be alive. And to the point, my sisters were fine. And I laid down in the middle of the street and hoping that someone would come and just run over me, just end it. I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. And the only person that drove up was my mother. And so she drives up our block, and what she sees is the wrecked car, girls sitting safely on the curb, and her son's body in the street. That's what she sees. And I just sit there, and I was just waiting. And so, you know, then the mom, you know, endorphins hit. You know, she thinks I'm terribly hurt on the good side, and she pulls up, um, and then I get up to talk to her. Well, then it goes from, I thought you were dead to you're about to be dead. How, 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 could, you, how could you do that to me? <laughs> and, um, you know, and she rolls down the window and she's dealing with her own emotions. And I just tell her, I was like, I wrecked dad's car. Mom, I wrecked dad's car. And it was just, ah, it was just more than I could, it was just more than I could take. And as I, got into that space, and I was not physically hurt. I was not physically hurt, but my mind, my, my will, my emotions, they were, they were hurt. They were wounded. My soul was wounded, and, and I would go, and I lay down in my room on my bed, and I actually go into traumatic shock. I'm not physically hurt, but I'm running the temperature. I've got the chills. I'm just sitting there shaking, and, and, um, and so I'm just, I'm sitting there, and I'm, you know, my mom has to make the call. She has to call dad. And so she sits there and uh, she, she makes the call and things uh, begin to unfold. But in that narrative, in that story, in that period of my life, the three things that tend to find their way and, and be at work in our own brokenness and creating these places where we wish we could flip the script was they were completely there. And the first one is, is idolizing something that's not God. Only God can sit in the place of number one in our lives. And we take anything else and we put it in number one. And I'm telling you, we are setting ourselves up for pain. And how many marriages have been hurt because somebody decided that, you know what, 
are just a little bit more overtime, a little bit more working. You know what we can do? They can put us over the edge and idolizing the amount of money set in savings, idolizing the success with the next promotion, idolizing these different things. And look up and we've wrecked a relationship and wish we could flip the script on those things. How many times as parents have we prioritized something else and look back and wish we could have a do-over with our children and so many different things and we put something that's not God in the driver's seat in the number one spot in our lives and it creates pain and it creates wreckage every single time. It creates it every single time. It makes us be people we're, we're not. I had only had that car for a few months and they're on Permian parking lot and one day I come out and somebody has keyed this beautiful fully restored car just started at the back and just keyed it all down the side. Just keyed it from one end to the other. And not only did they key it, they took their key and they wrote the word, literally wrote the word stupid into my paint, um, which is a stupid word to write. And, um, but so my car is keyed and then it has this right, it has this word in the paint. And I was just so angry. I was so angry. 16-year-old Brandon Clark was just so lost my mind. And this car was so important that I literally fantasized about finding out who did that, getting my dad's shotgun and ending their life. I'm not kidding. I was ready to do it. And I value that car being what it should be over someone else's wrong, foolish mistake. They should not have been doing that. But I was willing to let that mistake be the last mistake they ever made at my hands. I was ready to be judge, jury, and executioner and do it and not care that there'd be consequences for me because how dare you do that to my car. The scriptures say that if you've murdered in your heart, you're a murderer. And I very much in that scenario crossed that line and it just made me lose my mind. 1 John 5, 20 says, we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, even, even his Son, Jesus Christ. So we're in him. We're being a part of him. We're in him. We're in Jesus. He is the true God and eternal life. Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. It's talking to us, the children of God, and saying, keep yourselves from idols. The scriptures aren't afraid of us going to some place and getting a little Buddha and praying to it and burning incense to it and making that our God. That's not what the the writer has there for us. It's, It's that we're having a relationship with God, but something sneaky comes in and takes the first place. And all of a sudden, that's what things begin to do. And it's not obvious to everybody, but we begin to let something else begin to get into that place through subtle idolatry. And the next place is, is being self-centered. I was just so selfish. I was just so selfish and so self-centered. And self-centeredness ultimately crowds out everyone but you, including God. And I just started being a person I normally was not. I'm not one of these guys that would just like fight at the drop of a hat and just get angry and explode and just want to throw hands and go at it. I'm just, that's just not the way I'm wired and uh, but my friends, we'd go to lunch and had an October birthday. So I was one of the first ones with a driver's license. And so they wanted to, you know, go to off-campus lunch with me. And, you know, teenagers fighting over shotgun. Who's going to get shotgun? And had two of my buddies fighting over who was going to get to ride shotgun. 
Mustangs have these really long doors that swing really wide, and they throw the door open. It hits another car and chips my paint. I don't even care about the other car. My paint got chipped, and I was so mad. And I walk around the car, I see the chipped paint, and I just decked the first one closest to me and said, both of you get in the back seat. And they were so surprised because it was just not me. They both just got in the back seat. And so they weren't intimidated of me. They weren't any of that. They were just, this was not Brandon Clark. And, and I, they got in the back seat, and, and I didn't care if I lost a friendship over it. I didn't care what it did to me. I was sitting there, and this was my car. This was my thing, and you weren't going to violate it. The only time I approached somebody in the hallway purposefully and find them and sit there and jack them up against the lockers was, and I threatened a guy that I was going to whoop him if he ever touched my car again because he took a chicken nugget at lunch and set it on my hood. A chicken nugget. It is funny. It's ridiculous. A chicken nugget. That's not going to do anything. It's not a hot ball of acid or something. Chicken nugget wasn't from McDonald's. It was just a regular chicken nugget. And so it, it just... It just was just sent me over the edge, and I began to just be a person I was not. And James 3.16 says, for where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. Things that were not normally at work in me. I had my own struggles. I had my own things. But wanting to beat everybody up that I come across is just not one of mine. And but I have my own stuff. But all of a sudden, finding myself ready to fight, finding myself ready to throw hands and hurt people over this began to find its way. It unlocked and other evil practices on top of the ones I already dealt with were finding their way in there. And that's what selfishness does. And then the last one is not believing that, that God's love, that God loves us and is for us. It puts us in a place to to make destructive decisions. If we're not factoring in God's love and, and him being active in our lives, we're gonna end up making the wrong kinds of decisions. And I didn't believe that the life without the car was the kind of life I wanted to live. Why well, I laid down in the street and wanted to get hit. I just didn't believe it. I didn't believe my dad was gonna be able to process this, that my mistake was too much for him to be able to handle. And how was home life gonna be functional after this, that I, I just wrecked everything and I just didn't believe. And Hebrews eleven six 6 says, without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he, he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. And, and then in this place of trusting God and having faith, that there's an encounter with Jesus in Mark chapter 9 where he says, you know, ask Jesus if you can do this. And Jesus says, if you can Jesus said, everything is possible for him who believes. And immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. He understood that the biggest challenge was his unbelief. It wasn't even the other challenge that he was facing. It was his unbelief. And this place where ultimately our idolatry, I, our self-centeredness, S, not believing in, I-S-N, is just, it's just sin, put in the wrong order. And ultimately, living our lives outside of God's plan and purpose is that. We're trying to build life out of order, and it messes things up over 
and over and over again. But God's ultimate response to our fractured lives, it's, it's not what we expected. And that's demonstrated for us here in Romans 5.8, but God demonstrates his own love for us and that while we were still sinners, we hadn't fixed it, we hadn't made it all right. But while we were still sinners, Christ, Christ died for us. Well, as I said, my dad had to be notified and my mom, you know, contacts the, contacts the office and they get a hold of him and he comes back home. And uh, I'm just laying there in my bed and I've not had any encounter with my dad. My mom brings a message from my dad and um, she simply says, uh, your dad says to pack a bag. And I'm like, oh, yikes. And then I find out that my sisters are also supposed to pack a bag. So all the three kids are packing a bag. Now, I'm man, dad, dad's just done with parenting. He's just... He's just, we're gone. He's just like, ditch it all, man. I'm tired of this mess. And uh, so we pack, we all pack a bag and we load up in the car and um, head north out of Odessa to Andrews, which is where my grandparents live. And uh, he drives to his mom's house there in Andrews and drops us off at my grandmother's and my grand. And as he drops us off, that whole 30-minute drive to Andrews, it's just quiet. There's nothing to say at all. And um, takes me to my grandmother's house, and not nothing is nothing said. Um, uh, leaves, and nothing is said. And he's gone for, I think, a couple of days, and then comes back. That whole two days was just brutal, just long, brutal. And I just eaten up inside, and um, picks us up, and comes to the to my grand's house. And nothing is said. Loads us up in the car, and. Drives us home, and nothing is said. And we get to the house, and I go to my room as fast as I can, and I'm just staying there. And I just, at some point, I'm going to have to deal with Dad. I'm just going to have to come out and deal with him. And, and uh, my dad was not, by any means, he was not physically abusive or anything like that. There was no place where I needed to just be in fear. But I had just, I just knew what I had done. That just, that was. I was just such a foolish wreck. I, I put all three of his kids in danger. It was not just me and it totaled this gift and it was just dumb. It was just so foolish and thoughtless and it was just, I just had such guilt and, and just knew I was in the wrong. So I ended up coming out of my room and I'm walking through the hallway and hit the living room and our living room was just a shotgun living room and I'm just walking through it and my dad's coming from their end of the house and we're on collision course. We're just walking straight towards one another, and and I'm just not ready to have any kind of encounter. So we're walking, and he's headed straight to, to me, and I just step to the side. I just step out of the way and give him the right of way, and, and um, he steps to the side, and he steps in front of me. This is it. This is it. And I braced myself for what I knew I was due. And I was ready, I was ready for the tongue lashing. I was ready to be told. I was ready to have all my faults pointed out. And my dad just reaches out his arms and he just puts his arms around me. He just hugs me. I just hug him back and he begins to weep and I begin to cry. 
At that point, I'd never seen my dad cry. At that point, I'd never seen him shed a tear. My mom had not seen him cry in their married life. And, And we just, the two of us just standing there in that living room just hugging. No words. Just hugging. And it was in that embrace that all... All that guilt, all that weight, all those things just melted away. And I was the one 100% in the wrong, and he was the one 100% in the right. But he, he took a whole different response. My dad so flipped the script, I never dreamed that that was going to be the response. And as he did that, everything just completely shifted. It completely shifted on the whole spectrum. See, the truth is, is that God moved first. And there are a few things that we can do to to move and respond to God. And the first one is is just go to God. Just go to him. He's moved first. He's come to you. Go to him. Matthew 11, 28 says, come to me all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. I was carrying a load that was crushing me. And that embrace from my dad just made it disappear. It just made it disappear. Remember who you really are. When I stood there in that living room and I was sitting there, the person stepping out of the way of my dad was all I saw me as was the guy who took advantage of that gift, who took advantage of that act of love, who put people in danger. I was just the person in the wrong. That was all I was and what my dad saw. My dad saw his son. He didn't see somebody who wrecked the car, who totaled everything, who messed it all up. He just saw his son. And that helped me become, come back to that person and remember who I really was. And that well before that car existed, we loved one another. Well after that moment, we loved one another. And, but that moment, there was my wrecking the car just came so close to potentially wrecking our relationship 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. Then we have to accept your acceptance. I could have squirmed away. I could have pulled away. I could have said, I'm not ready for this. But I had to just receive that embrace. And there are times where we've had an encounter with God and you've pulled away, but I'm here to tell you, God is for you. He accepts. He accepts you. He wants to be involved in your life. But you've got to accept your acceptance. And Romans 15, 7 says, Accept one another then just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. But it doesn't start there. He wants to be a part of a family. We've got to connect with other believers. My dad wasn't just fixing the relationship between between him and I. He was fixing the relationship with my mom. He was fixing the relationship with my sisters. He was fixing all of it so for all of us could connect as a family again and not have this moment mar the whole thing. We need to be able to connect with other believers. And Hebrews 10, 24 says, let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching. It's easy to back off. It's easy to not connect. It's easy to be isolated. But we need to resist that and lean into one another. Even as things progress, we need to stay connected with one another. And the last thing we need to do is embrace the life God wants to give you. I had no idea 
what was in store in the future with me and my dad. I had no idea. It was not, not remotely the last time my dad did something wonderfully generous and gracious and kind to me. My dad didn't stop being that. It didn't, it didn't end that by any shape, form, or, or the imagination. And I just could not see how it could continue after that moment. We have to embrace the goodness. 1 Corinthians 2, 9 says, However, as it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. So just like sin is an issue, grace, go to God, remember, accept, <clears throat> connect, and embrace. Grace, sin and grace are the two most important realities in our life. And sin broke our connection with God, and grace reconnects us to God. See, while my parents were gone, my dad went to one of his favorite places. He went to Rio Doso, went to the mountains, and there in that space for those couple of days, he dealt with all of the mess that I had created. He dealt with the frustration that all three of his kids were in a wreck. He dealt with this, that, that, how scary that is. He dealt with the fact that this, that this car was ruined. He dealt with how stupid it is to hit a parked car. He dealt with all of those different things and processed it. And that was all handled on a mountain a long way away from me. So that when we came back together, that was not a part of the equation anymore. Good Friday is good Friday for you and I because Jesus went to Mount Calvary. God was in Christ reconciling you to himself. He handled all of it. He dealt with all of it. All the stuff you're embarrassed about, all the stuff you're frustrated about, all the stuff you want to hide from, all of the, the anger you feel like is due you from God. It has been dealt with. It is done. And guess what? The only thing he has for you now is an embrace. That is it. That is the beauty of the resurrection. That is what this is all about. Romans 5.20 says, The law was added so that the trespass might increase, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more, so that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. In Romans 8.28, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, and who've been called according to his purpose. See, our bottom line this morning is, is Jesus flipped the script on death to give us a new ending. That's what this is about. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Celebration Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.